No matter what happens in the world, God is still in control, a very present help in times of trouble. Let Dr. David Jeremiah help you start each day renewed and refreshed with his new yearly devotional called Strength for Today. This beautiful leather soft book features short readings reminding you to hold tight to God's faithfulness and find wisdom from God's Word. Receive Strength for Today in appreciation for your gift this month. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point as we begin a special series of messages to prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate our risen Savior on Easter Sunday. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at the trials and crucifixion of Christ. As Jesus suffers unspeakable pain and humiliation in sacrificing his life for each of us. Listen as David introduces today's special Easter week message, The Crucifixion. And thank you for joining us. Um, We have finished our discussion on the subject of fear. What are you afraid of? And for this next week, we're going to focus our attention on getting our own hearts prepared for Easter. You can still get a book on the subject of hope. It's called Hope Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. And for many people that you know, worry and anxiety and fear are just sort of constant companions, uh, everyday experience with fear. But this book is meant to help you overcome that. If you've been listening to the messages during the month of March, you know what I'm talking about. This book will chronicle for you the things I've talked about, give you a permanent record of them, and always be available to you whenever you have thoughts about fear and you want to know what does the Bible say about that. You'll be able to go and explore these chapters uh, for your own blessing. This book is meant to add value to your life, and it's available to you for a gift of any size during these last few days of March. When you send your gift, simply ask for the book on hope, and it will be sent to you as soon as we get your request. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started now as we open our hearts to the story of our Lord's wonderful love for us as exhibited on the cross at his crucifixion. An article concerning a doctor determined after he came to accept Jesus Christ as his personal Savior that he would study the pathological information available on the crucifixion of Christ to determine for himself whether or not the records of the New Testament were accurate. The article has as its caption, A Doctor's Opinion on the Death of Jesus. An unusual report suggests that Jesus probably died of shock, blood loss, exhaustion, suffocation, and heart failure just hours after being nailed to the cross. Crucifixion was designed to torture the victim for days, but Jesus died in a short time. But as we begin our look at the scriptures, let me read to you Dr. Edwards' analogy of the average Christian's appreciation of the cross of Christ. He wrote, There has been a tendency to almost romanticize the crucifixion, to disguise the horror of what Christ went through. But death by crucifixion was in every sense of the word excruciating. The way to the cross for the Lord Jesus began in its official way in the Garden of Gethsemane. After the awful experience of aloneness that our Lord felt and 
as Hebrews records, having sweat, as it were, drops of blood. Jesus left the Garden of Gethsemane, and in just a matter of hours, he was betrayed by Judas, arrested in the garden. It was there that Peter, in his exuberance, cut off Malchus' ear. During the trial proceedings that followed, Peter denied his Lord three times. And Jesus himself was brought to trial, first of all, by the Jews, and then by the Gentile civil government. The record of his trial is given to us in as much detail as we know, for it is not the central focus of the story. The Jewish trial, which was the religious trial, began with a hearing before Annas, and it is given to us in John 18 and the 12th verse. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Look down at verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. And Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And the informal hearing before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin took place. If you want to read about it in more detail, write down in your notes that the record of that interchange is found in Luke 22, verses 66 through 71. That was the Jewish trial, the religious trial of Jesus. The Gentile trial or the civil trial or the governmental trial is given to us beginning in the 28th verse of this 18th chapter. Jesus is first of all questioned by Pilate. This is the first of a number of occasions when he will be brought before this man. And we read that they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered into the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself on this, or did others tell you this about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew, your own nation, and the chief priests have delivered you to me? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. 
Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Jesus is then sent by Pilate to Herod. And that is recorded for us in the 23rd chapter of Luke. Just flip over, if you will, to Luke 23. Now, having been sent by Pilate to Herod, we read what happens beginning in the 6th verse. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man Jesus were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracles done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. And that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for before that, they had been in enmity with each other. Turn back now to John. When Pilate receives Jesus back from Herod, Pilate gives to the Jews a choice, a choice that he had every year to give before the Passover, to release a criminal to them. You know the story. It is given to us in verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And they released Barabbas unto the Jews. And Jesus they kept for to crucify. Before we look at the next chapter in our Lord's crucifixion, there are two lessons we must not pass over in the trials of the Lord Jesus Christ. For in these trials we see a cross-section of humanity today and their response to the Lord. First of all, in the Jews we see the weakness of wickedness. In the Jews we see the weakness of their wickedness. Notice again in the 18th chapter of the book of John, how properly wicked were the Jews. Oh, the piosity and sanctimonious nature of their sin. How careful they are as they are about to crucify the Son of God that they do not violate their law. Look at verse 28, if you will, of John chapter 18. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Here they are on their way to crucifying the Son of God, but ever so careful not to violate the law of the Jewish people. Look at them in verse 31. And Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. And therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Therefore, because it is not our law to do it, we will push it off on you to do it in our behalf. Oh, how properly wicked are the Jews. 
Here we see the weakness of wickedness. Notice, not only are they properly wicked, they are purposefully wicked. Some years ago, I did a study, an in-depth study of the trials of the Lord Jesus. I think it was motivated because of the book that was circulated so widely, The Passover Plot. The young people in our secular schools were being challenged to stand up and give the truth concerning the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ in studying the trial that the Jewish people brought against the Lord Jesus it is so filled with illegalities and immoralities that no one who understands the Jewish law for a moment would think it was legal they tried our Lord at night which was against the Jewish law they assumed him guilty which was against the Jewish law They hired false witnesses against him, which in any court, in any land, is outside the boundaries of the law. They mistreated him as a prisoner, having scourged him and beaten him. And then they provided for him no legal defense. In every way and in almost every section of the trial, the Jews demonstrated the weakness of their wickedness, for they were purposefully wicked. Notice how carefully they avoid in verses 29 and 30 even bringing an accusation against Jesus. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And they still haven't brought an accusation against him. The Jews were not only properly wicked, they were purposefully wicked. And then Matthew chapter 27 and verse 25, we discover that they were passionately wicked. How is that true? You know the story as I do. When Pilate finally had exhausted every opportunity to deal with Jesus without really dealing with him, the scripture says that he brought out a basin and ceremonially he washed his hands of the whole affair. And the Jews responded according to Matthew's gospel by saying, His blood be upon us and on our children. Think of that. Think of the audacity of standing there and willingly condemning your generations to follow to the rightful pain and penalty of having crucified the Lord of glory and the Son of God. Oh, how passionate in their sin were these Jews. In the Jews we see the weakness of wickedness. But let me give you one other vignette before we pass on. For in Pilate, we see the wickedness of weakness. It's just a turn of the word, but oh, how wonderfully he illustrates the wickedness of weakness. We see Pilate's weakness, first of all, in his refusal to face the issue. Notice how he dodges it every way that he can. In verse 31, he sends the issue back to the Jews. And then he sends the issue to Herod. And then when they get back from Herod, he hopes to get out of it by making a trade with Barabbas. Over and over again, in every way that he can possibly do it, he tries to refuse to face the issue. We see Pilate's weakness, secondly, in his inability to make a decision. If you go through the text, you will discover that seven times Pilate went in and came back out. He went in and went out to the Jews. Then he came back in. He was so vacillating, trying to figure out what to do so he wouldn't have to face the issue of this righteous man who had stood before him 
and in whom he could find no fault. And we see Pilate's weakness in his knowingly making the wrong choice. Look down in your Bibles, if you will, at the 38th verse in the 18th chapter. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said, underline this in your Bibles, I find no fault in him at all. Notice chapter 19 and verse 4. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Notice verse 6. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And then notice verses 19 through 22. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but write, He said, I am the king of the Jews. In other words, don't give him the credibility of putting the title king of the Jews over his cross because someone will think that in reality that's who he was. Just write up there, He said he was the king of the Jews. Watch Pilate's answer. Pilate said, What I have written, I have written. Why did he say that? In the inner resources of Pilate's heart and mind, he knew who Jesus was. Four times he said, I can't find any fault in him. On the fifth occasion, he refuses to take away the credibility of his claim to be the king of the Jews. Pilate was weak because he knowingly made the wrong decision. There's a last thing about Pilate before we move on, and that is Pilate's weakness is seen in his refusal to stand behind his decision. I mentioned to you Matthew chapter 27, where having made the decision to turn Jesus over to the Jews, Pilate then comes out and thinking that he can use a little water to wash the blood of the Lamb of God off his hands, he ceremonially cleanses his hands and says, I wash my hands of the whole thing. Unfortunately, though Pilate could wash his hands of what he did, he could never wash out of his heart and mind the memory of having been the chief instrument to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. The trials of Jesus. It is interesting to note as you read the literature of our day, the emphasis that is placed in the history of the Lord Jesus upon his death. In a biography of Daniel Webster, just five out of the 863 pages tell of the death of this great man. In Abraham Lincoln, a biography by Nicolay and Hayes, there are 5,000 pages, but just 25 relate the dramatic story of the president's assassination. In the life of the poet Shelley, just three out of 1,389 pages tell the sad story of Shelley's drowning near Leghorn in 1822. But in contrast, the death of Jesus Christ is given prominence in all the Gospels. One-fifth of Matthew and Mark, one-fourth of Luke, and one-half of John is devoted to Christ's last hours on this earth. He was more important in his death than he was in his life, and it would be truthful to say that that was the significance of his having come to this earth. As you stand 
now with the scene before you of his crucifixion. As you survey the scene at the cross, you cannot help but sense that the scene at the cross has been frozen for all of time. There standing adjacent to the cross are the representatives of all mankind. And in the representatives who are present when Jesus is crucified, there is someone in that throng who represents you. Wherever you may be in your relationship to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, there was someone there when he was crucified who stood in your place and represents your spirit and attitude toward his death. We can imagine a modern journalist or a novelist describing this scene, piling up the colorful details, picturing the crowd and the weather and the actual nailing of the victims to the cross and 100 other items. All of this the scripture includes in three succinct words. They crucified him. There were at least five individuals or groups who were a part of that scene. First of all, there was the respected mass of people. You will find just a word about them in Luke chapter 23. And in the 33rd verse and following is the actual story of Jesus' crucifixion. The scripture says in verse 33 that when they had come to a place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Now watch carefully. And the people stood looking on the respected masses just beholding him, the average people, the good merchants, the fine citizens, the respected, the silent majority, if you will, just stood and watched, just looked on as if it were the commonplace event they expected to see on any given day outside of Jerusalem. And are there not many, and perhaps the vast majority of people today, who, when it comes to understanding the death of our Lord, are like the respected masses of people, just looking on, just knowing that somewhere in the past there was a man who was crucified, who was a great man, but having no knowledge, no intimate understanding of the meaning and purpose of the cross. You may be part of the respected mass, just one of the many, you know about Christ. You know that historians have said he was crucified, but that's all you know. As far as you're concerned, Good Friday is just another day on your calendar, perhaps that lets you out of work a few hours early. The respected masses. Well, learning about the crucifixion and how it was viewed by the people who were there at that time helps us reflect upon our own lives, doesn't it? More about this tomorrow from John 18 and 19 as we prepare our hearts for Easter. We're finishing up the month of March, and in the process of doing that, we want to remind you that the March resource has been a book called Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. And in the tradition of Turning Point, what that means is when you send a gift to Turning Point during these final days of the month of March— and request it, we'll send you this book. It will come to you automatically in response to your gift to Turning Point. We want you to be as generous as you can be because we want to reach as many people as we can with the Word. 
But whatever you send, however you send it, if you'll ask for the book, we'll send it to you. We want you to have this resource, not only for today, but for the days ahead, whenever you may be tempted to fear again. And tomorrow, we will finish up our discussion of the crucifixion. On Wednesday, we're going to jump ahead to the ascension of Jesus Christ and finish out the week talking about his resurrection from the dead. I hope you're having a great week, and uh, I really hope that you are getting our magazine. I haven't talked much about that in recent days, but I do want to let you know that we now have over 400,000 people who read that magazine every month, and the list is growing every day people who want this additional information that they can grab hold of. There's a devotional in this magazine for every day of the week, Monday through Friday, and one for each weekend. And these devotionals coincide with the things we're teaching on the air. So there's a synergism there that's really great. And if you're not getting the magazine, I hope you'll request your copy uh, today. Simply ask for the magazine, give us your information, and we'll make sure you get on the list and receive the next issue of Turning Points Magazine and Devotional. It's just another way that we can encourage you to walk with the Lord. Let me remind you that if you do not know Jesus Christ, He is only a prayer way. All you have to do is ask Him to come forgive your sin and live within your heart and he will do it immediately you can become a Christian today we'll see you next time right here on Turning Point for more information on Dr. Jeremiah's special messages for Easter week please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine Turning Points and our daily email devotional Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely and encouraging new book, Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. Stop letting fear hold you back. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as Dr. Jeremiah continues his special messages for Easter week, right here on Turning Point. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the word, and be in prayer. Someone said that the person who doesn't care what others think is usually found at one of two places, the top of the ladder or the bottom. There's a sermon worth of material in that observation. Sometimes in life, it's necessary to move ahead of the crowd, 
to ignore what conventional wisdom says. Pioneers, apostles, missionaries, and visionaries fit that category. They succeed because they didn't care what others think, but they are the exception. The book of Proverbs warns against rejecting wise counsel and predicts calamities for those who do. When you are considering what others think, make sure you listen the hardest to God. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's opinions on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.